Sustain 267. Welcome to the Sustain 267 podcast where we host conversations around climate change and sustainability in Botswana and the rest of Africa. I am your host, Patukili Sidzi. I first connected with today's guest on LinkedIn after he posted something that resonated with me on passion and the work that we choose to do. He was kind enough to send me a copy of his book, Innovative Volunteerism. I read this book in one seating and there's some lessons from that book that I still carry with me today and thought to reach out to him once again. so we can have a conversation about his book Innovative Volunteerism and the role this concept can play in addressing climate change in Africa. I had a chat with Dr. Richard Monang, born in Cameroon, the Africa Regional Climate Change Coordinator at the United Nations Environmental Program and author of the book Innovative Volunteerism. Here's how our conversation went. First thing I wanted to know, what is Innovative Volunteerism? The first time I heard innovative volunteerism was from you and it's a beautiful phrase that you coined. What does it mean? Yeah, thank you very much, Pato, um for having me. It's um, a great opportunity. The reality is that if you look at the entire African continent, um we do not lack in terms of mineral resources. Uh we have the land 65% of our cultivated river land. We have agricultural production that the continent is losing 48 um, billion a year. Uh, but at the same time you also have people who go to bed hungry 257 million people we have youth who get into the labor market with no jobs 12 million of them every year get into the labor market with no jobs and then we have a continent that have policies so the question is how can we be able to address challenges with everyone being a stakeholder in providing solutions without necessarily having to have only government alone or only citizens alone or only private sector alone or only civil societies alone but with everyone having a stake but when you look at the continent of Africa today we have over 60% of the population youthful and so it means that if we have an approach in which everyone can use his or her skill to turn challenges into opportunities we will be moving the needle forward and in as much as the challenges may not be addressed in a day each and every one might be able to contribute his or her own and play her own part and that is the essence of innovative volunteerism that each and every one is important and that our skills and our talents when combined in a very structured and coordinated way and with inspiration infused to it because inspiration is actually what many people have been missing in the entire african continent that you matter that i matter that i can be part and parcel of the solution to the challenges we face and more so within the context of the changing climate and that when we do that in a very collective way and inspire people to usher themselves to action we will be solving the problems that africa um, have got and putting people at the center of the solutions process and that's the essence of innovative volunteerism so in a nutshell innovative volunteerism is actually structured guidance uh, and inspiration especially to young people in a way that they can retool their skills and retool those skills to address challenges whether challenges in the food sector where we facing food harvest losses where or challenges in the clean energy sector where we can engage where youth are being trained to be able to fabricate briquettes to turn waste to briquettes waste to world or develop solar dryers that can digitalize light to farmers to reduce food harvest losses and all these things done towards turning challenges to opportunity and putting money in their pockets as well as addressing this so that is the nutshell of it 
I think one of my favorite things about it is the whole idea of doing positive, contributing to your community, but also living off of it. Um, I think another thing that I really liked about the book was its optimistic outlook and basically African youth being the ones that we are, we've been waiting for. Absolutely. Um, the, the If you look at the entire continent for the past 60 years, that many countries that fought for self-determined rule had independence. Uh, there is one thing that runs through. Um, the, 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 the self-determined rule and the independence that countries got did not equate to ad- addressing uh, uh, challenges and creating more opportunities for the citizens. And the result, the reason for that was that the people were not put at the center of development. Development was meant to be for the people rather than people doing development for themselves. And the people then got disengaged, not to be made to be the custodians of the very development in which and the very resources in which they were supposed to be the custodians and pave the development for themselves. And that equation has continuously gotten widened in that people are doing catch up most of the time, but not necessarily sitting on the driver's seat. And because the lead from the rear not sitting on the driver's seat, they do not own the development sometimes and they do not feel that they are being taken in the direction in which they want. What does that mean? It means if you can inspire people to see themselves as solution providers, they will take charge and they will do what they can do. And if you have 1.2 billion citizens, each and every one taking charge to contribute in his or her own way, Africa's development will be realized in less than five years because we've not been made to see each and every one as a solution provider. That even sometimes when people are doing their best to contribute to society, their effort seems as if they've been misplaced. They get disenfranchised and they get discouraged. But we need a different kind of an approach in which People are inspired that because the most important thing that every human being is supposed to see and understand is to know that they're useful. When you make a human being know that he or she is useful, she can do wonders. Of course, they need guidance. But when you make them to know that they're not useful, they will unleash the negative part of the human being. And that is what has been missing in, in this whole equation. Usefulness of a human being, guiding them, making them to play their role, but play their role to solve problems and also address their own challenges. And that is why in the book, I made it very clear that the, the, the logic and the secret for Africa's transformation is an empowered citizenry that is empowered to become the solution providers to leverage on what they have, which is their skills and talents, but in a way that they can now start to address the challenges to benefit themselves and whether benefit communities but add up to the entire development agenda. Because the reality is that the role of government is to create an enabling environment for citizens to build their enterprises. Government role is to play, to make sure that there is an enabling environment for citizens to play that role. Because once the citizens pick up in playing that role, and in this case, we're talking of a constituent, because if you look at the population, over 60% youthful. So it means that we're talking of the biggest constituents of development that is actually actually the youth. But they need a different kind of way to be inspired to carry out this. They need enabling environment, enabling environment to assess financing, enabling environment to be able to have the policies that if they're doing something to on energy, the enabling environment is already there, created. And in most across the continent, those enabling environments are there, but there is this missing word called inspiration to inspire people to action. People then tend to ask the question, what is the government doing? 
But it should be the other way around that the government has done this, but this is what I am doing, and this is what the government has doing. So there is always a disconnect where, like I always say, that the biggest I'm doing for Africa is their perennial approach of passing the buck. And I've said this, is the perennial approach of passing the buck and thinking that Africa's development is the responsibility of others. Citizens think it is the responsibility of government alone. Government think it is the responsibility of development partners. And that is where the disconnect has actually always been. But that is a fallacy because when the, the, the thinking sometimes is also the fixation only on finance. Finance is an enabling, it is not an end. I call it part of a means. It is not an end because even if you had all the money, you do not have people with the requisite skills, inspired and motivated, the money will still finish without any development done or without any problem solved. And therefore, it becomes quite very, very important that we need to start to reshape that narrative because part of innovative volunteerism and the book itself was how do we reshape the narrative of Africa from mineral resources, from material resources to people? Because it is people that produce material. Material do not produce people. And so people should not allow material to own them, but they should be able to find different ways in which that material can still be produced, but produced in a way that address challenges that are affecting humans, not exacerbating already those challenges. And therefore, it becomes very important that the book, as you saw, innovative volunteerism is actually about inspiring people, helping them to unleash their passion. But passion that is tied to purpose, because purpose is that thing that you get up. You said, what am I useful for as a human being? I need to do something to leave a legacy. But that purpose must be tied to a vision, and I call that an unborrowed vision. And if everyone could develop that kind of passion and tie it to a purpose, then the continent will change. You, you said quite a bit, but something that definitely stood out for me was people are solution providers. You know, as Africans, right. we are solution providers. I've seen this a lot with climate action. Um, we're going back to your point of because we haven't charged people with coming up with solutions. You've got people doing small activities on climate action, but it's not really acknowledged because we, we are not expecting them to be the solution providers. So they might as well just be shooting into, I don't know, into the middle of nowhere. Um, and then it reminds me of a sentence that really stood out for me when I read your book. Um, and it said, it's simply against human nature to live in mediocrity. We are meant for more. Speaking to the point of passion, we are meant for more. We're not just meant to be born that live on the edge of poverty, barely making it and die. We need to do something with our purpose. And then another thing that I wanted to, 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 to ask, but I've asked this to some of my past guests, is the idea of the people being solution providers. How do we then come in as people? If let's say, like you said, um, the people are looking at government, government is looking at development practitioners. If there are those people who already identify as solution providers with an appreciation of innovative volunteerism, how do they then get in touch with the government, get in touch with the development practitioners and drive action from that point instead of waiting for them to reach out to them as individuals? Very good question. And the answer is in mindset change. We've been met from the kind of education we get from schools, even up to the jobs that we do, to think that someone else must do it for us. And that has actually been institutionalized, that if someone else doesn't do it for us, no matter what I do, it is not enough. 
And that's self-defeatist. And that goes back to what I call emotional poverty. We've been embedded with emotional poverty. Emotional poverty is not physical poverty. Of course, we don't see rules. We don't see people having water. That is what I call physical poverty. And that one is not as dangerous as emotional poverty. Emotional poverty is lack of self-belief. That we do not believe in what we do. We do not believe that what we do is right. That if we do not get external validation to anything we do, then it means that it is not valid. And that's what has actually sunk Africa and her citizens. That no matter what you do, you do not even talk about it. Unless someone validates that it is okay. And because of that, we have had excellent innovations and excellent ideas in the continent that never ever cross the borders to anywhere just because we do not believe in them. And the worst aspect in this emotional poverty that has actually made us not to collectively bring each and every aspect of what we do to add up is that lack of self-belief. And the lack of self-belief has made us not to trust one another and not to even believe in what one another does, and unless it is validated by others. So the key point is, Self-belief. And self-belief starts with a mindset change. And that mindset change needs a recognition that development is not done for people. People do development for themselves. The role of development actors and government is to facilitate and create an enabling environment. Immediately, development put people on the rear and not on the driver's seat. That is not development. And that's where Africa has been. So the easiest way to move forward is to make people to understand you do not necessarily need government to come and dig a dam for you or to come and construct, a, your, I mean, to come and till your farm for you. What you need is to be able to ask what it can help you move a needle, not everything being done for you. Because even in the scriptures, if you look at Matthew 25, chapter 14 to 30, he's talked about the parable of the talent where the, 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 the servant were given uh, 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 um, they, they were actually given things to, uh, I mean, a words, and, and that one of them multiplied it by 10. The other did not do anything. And um, when the master came back, the um, uh, what he has given them, the one that did not multiply by 10 was put in prison, and the one that multiplied was added. So what does that mean? Laziness has no place. And so we must be able to inspire people to use what they have been given, which they've been given talents and skills to do something that benefits society and benefits themselves. But what I think has been the biggest failure is that we've not integrated this to make this become part of national vision and education is actually where we can do this, where we start to teach kids in school how useful they can be and how useful they should be, where we started to turn Africa's challenges to make that subjects in school, to teach solutions to those challenges so that when you are leaving school, you live as an entrepreneur. Just imagine that if Africa is losing 48 billion US dollars each and every year and importing food worth 35 billion US dollars, what could have happened if each school, each education curriculum had a, a, a subject that focuses on solutions to food security from an entrepreneurial perspective? We will be graduating students, regardless of subject that you study, who can then be able to become entrepreneurs, create enterprises to reverse the 48 billion US dollars. And that is money that is currently today being lost going down the drain as they import food, ex ex depreciating foreign reserves. These are simple things, and this is, doesn't need rocket science. But the reason they are not being done is because of the disjointed approach in which people have been taught People, information has been communicated and citizens then believe 
that unless it is done for them, no matter what they do, it doesn't mean anything. And so we need that kind of new mindset change where each and everyone sees his or herself as a solution provider and as the, constitu- as the constituency, as the audience that must be able to do Africa's development. And like what I always say, each and every citizen should see his or herself as a contributor to Africa's development. And that way, we will then be able to make a difference. Definitely. Well, we truly do need to believe in ourselves and our actions and just believe that our validation as Africans is enough. Um, I also think that would translate to indigenous knowledge. If we believed in ourselves, then we could capitalize on our indigenous knowledge in reference to whether it's finance, whether it's um, environment, whether it's just wisdom then we could capitalize on that because losing 48 billion US dollars a year is nothing to sneeze at. Absolutely. And um, you've mentioned a very important aspect, finance. How do we use indigenous knowledge or indigenous approaches to look at how Africa can start? Because the, the reality is that context matters. And if you look, the contextual setting of Africa is completely very different from the Western setting. And what works in the West may not necessarily work exactly the same in the African continent. That then means that if Africa do not devise her solutions, the copy and paste solutions would never work, especially under the changing climate. If you look at the approaches that have worked elsewhere, of course, we need to tap into clean energy. We need wind turbines. We need wind farms. Of course, that's fine. That needs huge investment. And governments should be able to leverage and do so. But there are also aspects in which individual citizens can do. How do you start to engage them to start to use what is possible what I call low-cost approaches that they can engage in to address climate action, but also use turn that to a business. If you take waste to energy, it's a very simple thing. To take waste, which has been littered every day, whether it is waste from cassava peelings or maize or rice husk or, or, or maize, maize uh, husk, they can actually turn this to briquettes that reduces the dependence on charcoal. And young people to do this do not need a lot of startup resources. Why is that not being championed? We can champion it as individual citizens. But the point I want to make is that if you look at climate change, Africa needs to 7 to 15 billion each and every year. That's money that is supposed to have been coming to the continent each and every year. We have already changed climate that we're living with today. Not to talk of the 50 billion that Africa needs if the world was to hit 2 degrees, which we're already, as the global community today, above 1.1 degree. The point I'm driving at is that if you look at indigenous approaches, that is where the solution to Africa's challenges, including climate change, will come from. The money is not coming. And if we wait for that money, grass is going to grow on our feet. Because it will never come. And even if it comes, it will not be enough. Because if you look at the Sustainable Development Goals, Africa needs $1.2 trillion US dollars each and every year to be able to implement the Sustainable Development Goals. Where will that money ever come from? Your guess is as good as mine. It means we need to look at indigenous approaches and focus on what can be able to be leveraged to use to drive climate action, implement sustainable development goals, and address the challenges of socioeconomic challenges of food insecurity, of youth unemployment, of poverty that is plaguing. And the answer lies now in communal cooperatives. Those are indigenous approaches where in communities people come together, contribute little money to buy a bench in church or to buy a, school, a, a, a book for a student. When I was growing up, I used to see my mother. They come together, contribute little money in that spirit of cooperative to buy a, 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 a bench in church or buy 
uh, books for their, their, their kids. And that period is where we need to go back, where people come together, contribute little money to develop a solar dryer or to start a small business, to turn waste to, to clean energy. Those are indigenous approaches and they work within the context of Africa because we have that setting and we grew up seeing those things. So that contribute to innovative financing where little resources can help to devise solutions and solve a problem, but also put money in people's pockets. Where women can be brought together to contribute little money, to get a solar dryer, to reduce the post-harvest losses that are costing the continent 48 billion US dollars and, and reverse the food that has been lost. That will address food insecurity. That will put money in their pockets that they can then be able to purchase other goods that will address their socioeconomic challenges. That's reality. And, and, and if you just take that particular example of cooperatives that I have used, there is also another example where if you look at the context of Africa today, the leveraging of um, traditional structures as entry point for actions, where if you take traditional structures, whether we're talking kings and chiefs and emirs, of where we engage them. Because in most of these communities, people have actually practiced traditional approaches, whether it was in green crops or particular crops that were resilient to climate, to, to climate stress. Most of these things have been dis disappeared today and they're not even talked about. How do we engage these communities through those structures, which will not only ensure accountability in terms of action, but also traceability of what happens and where it even reaches. So indigenous knowledge becomes the fabric of integrating solutions within driving sustainable development goals and also climate action. If we ignore this, we will continuously make the same mistake that we made for the past 60 years, and Africa's rise will become an elusive vision. A beautiful example of maybe we should leverage off of the knowledge that we already have around getting things done instead of what would be the traditional, what have now be, become the traditional financing me method. With University of Botswana, the university that I attend currently, it was built on the same idea, kind of the same idea that you are sharing right now. And there was a campaign called Motolemutokomu. Definitely worth looking up. I'll try to put up a link to it. But what the idea behind that was every Motswana should donate a cow towards the building of the University of Botswana, um, which in Botswana is Medigolo, so like mother of schools. And through Botswana donating cows, like a single cow per family, we now have a university that is quite decently ranked. So moving away from that idea of maybe the African, the old African ways of financing are the financing structures that we need to embrace um, <clears throat> for our sustainable for sustainable development in the long run. It doesn't always have to be cash in the form of donations or investments um, from from external, you know, if we have the wrong mentality, like you said earlier, finance is a resource. We have seen it multiple times in Africa where we have the finance and it finishes and there's no action. All we had was the money and then no money and in between no action. Absolutely. Brilliant idea. And you've touched a very important point, which is the, um, the I mean, people giving what they have for the common good of society. That spirit of selflessness has disappeared today. The me, me, me spirit is actually uh, what is also destroying Africa today. And that's what has brought greed, has brought corruption, where people want to take everything uh, regardless of whether others suffer or not. And that is as a result of the values of selflessness, values of 
seeing success beyond individual self to many people succeeding. And embracing those values uh, best approach is what becomes very important because Africa needs a values based development approach. Without using values based, where selflessness is at the center, then we will never achieve development that is inclusive. And the example of the University of Botswana, where people were contributing their cars to be able to have a common good institution for the citizens, is what we need today. That if there is a community that is suffering from drought, people can then be able to contribute what they have and tap into the knowledge of those who can voluntarily provide that knowledge to solve that particular problem because it will benefit the community, it will benefit children, it will put food on the table. That selflessness is a value that has actually been ingrained in Africa's uh, fabric, but today is gradually uh, uh, been uh, dissipated or disappeared. So bringing back selflessness into the center of development vision is what I call a, a, a values-based development approach that Africa needs today. Because unless we are selfless, people will not even be able to give their knowledge. People will not even be able to mentor young people because these young people need mentorship. And mentorship has been made in the continent to be who is richer and who flies in aeroplane and that how many cars you bring, then people will say, I want him to be my mentor. No. Mentorship should be about values. It should be about instilling the good in people, inspiring others, seeing, making others to see others' success as their success so that we can shun greed, we can shun selfishness, we can shun individualism and embrace uh, um, collectivism. That's the way to go. And that really is, to me, the uh, development aspects that we need to inject into the Africa's development vision. Because Africa's development vision, and I've said this so many times, will not be a copy and paste. Addressing climate change in the continent goes beyond needing only money. Of course, we need resources. Resources, money is part of resources, but human resource, what I call sovereign capital. Africa's biggest capital is her people. But not just her people in the current state, but her people with a change mindset to self-believe that they are the solution providers to the challenges, to self-believe that if Pato succeeds, it's my success, that I can support her, she can support me, that she can support many more people, to start to see ourselves as one another's keeper, not always trying to divide one another, thinking that your success is against my success. And that has actually been what has been used to divide the continent, not to ever unite around anything. And climate change needs unity, not division. Because someone's challenge presents an opportunity for another person. And so if we see someone's challenge as an opportunity for me, that if a mother is losing her food because she lacks a solar dryer, if I then develop a solar dryer and decentralize to that mother, I will help her to recoup what she is losing, and that will put food on her table, but at the same time, I will also make money because she is going to buy my solar dryer as a result of selling her food that has been recouped, and it's a win-win for each and every one. If we see from that perspective as a continent, and this is a challenge to every citizen, if we see that our actions solve others' problems and in turn better our community, Africa will rise for real. Anything less will be lip service. But... Going back to the point of the death of selflessness, is it not because selflessness is dying because one person being selfless is benefiting others? Because I'll tell you now, I would be very reluctant to be selfless if the fruits of my selflessness are creating profits for somebody else. Let's say with this podcast, for example, I'm not making money from it, but I'd be very reluctant to do it if I was doing it 
from, I was doing it out of passion and so forth. And then somebody else was turning it into a profit down the street. But also, how do we come back from that? Acknowledging the fact that the, the, the landscape on which we are selflessness has changed. How do we come back from that? How are we then going to find space for selflessness in a space where people are being sued for using seeds? They're seeds that have been engineered to be able to adapt to our, our new climate. So more drought-resistant seeds, seeds that can somehow survive floods and, and, and. But those have been painted, patented by companies. And if you reuse those seeds, they can sue you. That's the new landscape that we are on. How do we then consolidate that? The, the, the lack of values, that's why I still go back to values. The lack of values... Uh, have actually resulted to where Africa finds herself today. And it might get worse if we do not start to reverse that. And I just want to make this point. Success is never linear and progress is never linear. And it is not a lot of people that stand up to start to make that linearity or to drive towards that progress in a way that is supposed to be. The good is never really easy to be done, but the bad most of the time seems to be the easiest. What am I saying? Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because if you look at the society in which we live today, I mean, across the entire world, it's one where capitalism is um, actually embraced. And capitalism, pretty much philosophy, it's me, me. If the top is doing well, regardless of what happens at the bottom, that's not really the concern of many. Africa, do not, Africa needs a model of development that is unique to its challenges and its context. And I'll still go back to this. And if you look, Africa has borrowed a lot of things. It's borrowed the me-me attitude to get rich alone. It's borrowed the attitude of trying to be a capitalist society which doesn't even fit the context. So they're in between. It's borrowed socialism which didn't really fit the context. They're in between. So Africa needs a blended development approach that is based on values. I still said values, why? We grew up being taught to respect one another. We grew up being taught to be humble, humility to listen, humility to work hard and, and be the best, and to see ourselves as not just a son from my mother or my father or a daughter from mother or father, to see ourselves as community, a son from a community. That it's not only my mother, that is my mother, that mothers in the community are my mothers. That our values are more of unity. Are that if you do something to benefit others, actually you'll be blessed as a result of that. Those are values. But because those values have actually been sent to take the back seat, we now see what we are seeing today, which is selfishness. I don't care. That's the language that is being used. I don't care if I succeed alone at the expense of my community or of youth. I don't care if youth opportunities are taken away uh, because of uh, others benefiting and even if they don't benefit, it doesn't matter. The language of I don't care is actually what is eroding Africa today. So the only way to go back is what I say, you must develop purpose. And what, what I mean by purpose is that if you develop purpose, you are not doing things to please people. You are doing things because you know that the purpose of life is to be useful. And then what you do, you are contributing your quarter to better humanity. And of course, people will try to game around what you are doing to make profit that is part of life and that's why i said success is never linear and progress is never linear but what you must always do and this is my advice is 
you work with the willing and develop an approach in which you can easily navigate anytime people want to take advantage of you. And that takes a what I call an unborrowed vision. Because what happens is that you must develop passion around something, do it so well to solve problems. But as you are doing it to solve problems, you do it in a purposeful way because that is why you do exist, is to be useful. But your unborrowed vision is where do you want to go? And I can tell you nobody can steal your unborrowed vision because there's a difference between vision and unborrowed vision. Unborrowed vision is a word I coin because Africa has been doing what we call experimental vision, something that someone sits somewhere, think he brings it to the continent to experiment. And when it finishes, then nothing works. But on borrowed vision is an individual vision of yourself, of where you want to see your community, your country and continent be. And you start to contribute towards that. Once you do that, nobody can take it away from you because it is an internal self-belief of what you can do and how you can do it. I always tell people, positions do not implement. It's passion that implements, and nobody can steal your passion. That's the kind of spirit we need. So if others bring seeds and sow others, what stop us from developing our own uh, uh, climate resilient, uh, uh, resi- resi- resilient crops that we can be able to use? Cassava is one of them. We don't need to develop it because it's already a climate resilient crop. We have what is called millet. We have what is called mambara granite. We can devise different means, but people need to come together and think like it must not always be brought to the country. We must develop our own unborrowed vision to do things our own way. And firstly, unborrowed vision that makes us get us get us up from bed to address challenges. But when we abjugate responsibility to others, we will never have selflessness in the continent. Because if it is not done for us, then they will not want to grab what is not theirs. So we need to start instilling selflessness within this unborrowed vision space and ushering people to develop passion within them to do what addresses challenges. Because the truth is this, any challenge you address, you will benefit from it. If you address a challenge of food insecurity, you put food on people's table, but you also put food on your table. You will benefit from turning a challenge into an opportunity. So you might think you are doing it only to benefit others, but you will benefit at the end of the day. Benefit is not only about money. It's about legacy. And you leave a legacy. So I was snapping as you were talking about the unborrowed vision and African vision by Africans, for Africans. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that idea. And maybe that's what you can call your next book, The Un- Unborrowed Vision. But going back to your current book, um, Innovative Voluntarism, I also appreciate the use of multiple African prover- proverbs. I'm a big fan of African proverbs because I just feel like they carry a lot of wisdom. And the the weaving of African culture and science in such a way that you showed that they're not opposite ends of the spectrum, but they actually complement each other. And if we harnessed both, we could even have a hybrid solution of African, like we could even have hybrid solutions for African challenges, even as we address climate change. Absolutely. Um, the, the reality is this. I always African solutions are actually global solutions. And um, but Africans haven't seen it that way yet. And there is nothing wrong to have hybrid. I have argued this so many times. There is Africa need partners, but partnership should be about added value novelty. 
you bring your strength, I bring my strength to solve a problem. It cannot always be one-sided. Partnership cannot always be flow of resources from elsewhere. Partnership cannot always be flow of technical assistance from elsewhere. Without us also showing what the, the, what is coming can complement. That goes back to what I said earlier. We do not believe in ourselves. Emotional poverty. And emotional poverty to me is actually the biggest problem that Africa faces today. Lack of self-belief. Lack of uh, believing in what others do. And because of that, if you look across the entire African continent today, there's no absence of climate action solutions. Young people are developing information communication technology applications to connect farmers to markets, to connect farmers to assess solar dryers and others. Others are developing the solar dryers themselves. Others are actually turning waste to briquettes. They're turning waste to bargas. They're turning waste to compost and bar fertilizers. These beautiful and excellent, fantastic climate action solutions, as much as other solutions, whether it is healthcare solutions where you are developing cardiopaths to test people's heart ability to so, and they do exist. The biggest problem that has been lacking for quite a very long time is lack of incentives. And incentives are not necessarily money. Incentives are about inspiration, making someone to self-believe, appreciating someone and inspiring and motivating that person to be best, that what you've done as a solution is great. This is how we can help you to bring it to scale. That doesn't exist in the continent today. Why? Because of emotional poverty. That if I see Pato doing something excellent, instead of appreciating her and guiding her on how to do it better, I try to find a way to pull her down. That has been the African syndrome that has actually um, retrogressed many people today. So to dry, to, to, we need a hybrid of solution where need be. That, like you said, that even if one has an idea and gets to Botswana, for example, and gets to a community, you should be able to also understand what those community people have been doing, how they've been coping with each other, because they live there and they have been there and they have coped with it. You can't just jet in. I want to force something down people's throats without understanding their context and without bringing what you have so that they can blend with what they have. And Africans have actually allowed that to happen time and time again. And that is why when anything happens, projects happens and end, that is the end of it. And nothing, and we go back to the basics of the problem. So hybrid approaches to blend with what works are welcome, but they must always be secondary to what has been working and must be added on top of what has been working, and it can never displace what has been working to bring something that is not. So community ownership becomes part and parcel in Africa's transformational sustainability framework of anything. Show people-owned development and not forcing development down people's throats. We must listen to people to get the ideas of what they have been doing so that what we bring on board adds to what they can uh, actually take forward. And this goes beyond money. Communities do have ideas that if you quantify in terms of money, they are trillionaires. But we never look at that. We look at dollar signs to think that when we bring dollar signs, that is enough. No, it is not enough because money cannot buy ideas. But ideas do bring money. And the community ideas are actually the foundation of any progress that we can be. And we must always tap and respect and listen to ensure that what we do is what can add to what they have already been doing to better their lives. Because they've been living there. And if we ignore that, we're actually subjecting them to retrogression, which is not what we must do. 
Definitely. As you were talking, I was snapping. I was just like, yes, all of that. Yes. <laughs> and then I think um, as we close, um, what would your final thoughts be on innovative um, volunteerism and us using it in Africa and us using it towards using our solution? Or what would you like our final takeaway to be from that? And then if you could, cl- if while you're saying that, you could close with, what your favorite African proverb is. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think the, the reality is, just like I started, the, the challenges that Africa actually faces today are enormous. We are now um, having this discussion in the midst of COVID-19. That is what I call is a triple disaster because it's adding to climate change, it's adding to poverty, and all these things are contributing to be uh, uh, to drive socioeconomic challenges further, put, plunge people more than put insecurity part, plunge youth more than the unemployment part, and poverty will only be exacerbated. But there is hope, and the hope is that the citizens themselves do have solutions to the challenges they face, but they've not been met to understand that they do have the solutions to the challenges they face. And one of the ways to be able to make them know is to have a common language that inspires people, that motivates people to see how they can discover and find their purpose, what I call self-discovery and passion, that makes them know that you do not need to have money in your pocket to be useful. And that to be useful, you must first of all accept within you that I want to do this and develop passion around that aspect you want to do. Start to understand how you can do it and build a coalition of the willing, of those who are willing, and work with them. And you will notice that you will start to get to what you have always wanted to do, and that will result into something bigger. And that's the essence of innovative volunteerism, which is that self-belief and inspiring yourself to be useful is important. And that is a common language that you will understand in certain part of the continent that people understand in the western part of the continent, that will understand in the eastern part of the continent, in the central and northern part. And that is what innovative volunteerism actually the intention was. And I'm seeing that across, we are discussing about it today, but others are going to listen across the continent. So we have a common, a common, a common rallying point of usefulness, of selflessness, of inspiration, but all towards a common goal, which is to address socioeconomic challenges that we are common solutions, and we are solutions provider. And that is it. And when you look at all this as I end, in my book, I said, cross a river in a crowd and the crocodiles won't eat you. And I said, it is time for us to put individualism on the run, to put selfishness on the run, and to put hopelessness on the run and embrace collectivism and embrace selflessness because and embrace hopefulness because those are the ingredients that Africa needs. But if I was to talk about a proof of that, I think Africa actually needs to embrace today. It takes a village to raise a child. The challenges of poverty, of food insecurity, of the changing climate will need each and every one of us to be part and parcel of the solution. Government alone cannot do it. They have their role to play, which is enabling environment. Citizens alone cannot do it. They have their role to play, which is to tap into the enabling environment and, 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 and build a prosperous country and continent. But collectively, we will be able to do it because we need one another. And alone, we cannot do as much. I'm not sure. You, you slid it in there. The, we can't cross the river alone. I caught that favorite proverb. 
Well, um, uh, not necessarily the favorite proverb, but it sums up innovative volunteerism. But the favorite proverb um, that I would like, uh, which I have used so many times, is if you close your eyes to facts, you will learn through accidents. Africa has been closing her eyes to facts, the facts of poverty, of individualism, of selfishness, of forgetting that unless we use values, we might not leapfrog to where we are. That unless we recognize that our youth are the biggest sovereign capital, that we need to inspire and motivate them to be the solution providers, we will be marking time wherever we are and we will never go anywhere. So if you close your eyes to facts, you will learn through accidents. And I hope Africa will open their eyes so they don't learn through accident. Dr. Menang, thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation with me. Thank you, Pato. It was a pleasure and uh, always great discussing with you. Please find a link to download Dr. Richard Menang's book, Innovative Volunteerism, for free in the episode description. Also connect with him on Twitter at Richard Menang. This week on Africa Bites, I speak to Farai Mubaiwa from South Africa with roots in Zimbabwe and the host of Africa Matters podcast. I first asked her to share her understanding of climate change. So climate change, in my understanding, looks at how the earth has been, what's the word to use, has been changing because of the fact that we've got different movements which are either caused by by natural movements or changes or which are caused by you know how we as human beings have treated the earth so what have we emitted how much carbon have we have we emitted and what are the effects of these emissions on a lot of the earth systems if there was one action that you would encourage everyone to take up what would it be i think um so i'll answer this question on some different levels. I think the first level is that our governments need to educate us and this as, as their citizens a lot more about climate change. So in school for it to be Im- Im- embedded within the curriculum and then understanding a lot of the other issues which is which are affected by, by climate change. And then I think for civil society to continue to do what they do in terms of raising awareness and for all of us as, in, as individuals to not just read about climate change just to understand it but to also change our behavior as well and see how in changing our behavior do we contribute to addressing climate change so whether that means what we spoke about a bit earlier that idea of sustainable consumption or whether it means you know if you don't have to have a car not having a car there's really different ways in which we can all play even small roles in addressing climate change and then still on climate change how has has it affected you directly um i think what's been really 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 interesting for me is that within the South African context we've been affected by climate change in different ways. I mean we saw what happened in Cape Town um, not too long ago where we had what in actual fact was almost a drought there you know and I think that um, for me particularly it's really interesting to see the effects on, of climate change on healthcare. Um, so I work in the healthcare space and I work a lot with HIV and you see that I mean because of the different effects of climate change, there are there are indirect and direct impacts on healthcare. So we see that you know when climate change starts to affect food security, people can't get nutritious food, so they can't stay healthy, and then that results in, in a lot of instances of malnutrition. Some of the indirect effects of climate change, for example, on HIV, would be that when there's a drought in a particular region and the people migrate, when people migrate, they carry with them the diseases that they've got. So suddenly you'd find that there's a spread of HIV from being in one particular region to now another one. So yeah, so my particular interest is in healthcare and climate change and in recognizing the direct and indirect impacts. Last question, what are your efforts towards addressing climate change, if any? 
so I want to keep learning I want to definitely definitely keep learning and I want to see how I can even more integrate climate change into healthcare so I work in a healthcare space and looking at youth empowerment within the space and I mean just the other day we were discussing nutrition and why it's super important particularly for your HIV positive patients to ensure that they're eating well so how can we then encourage people you know to plant veggie gardens to create a form of employment to create a form of sustainability and also a way of nutrition yeah so to keep learning and to keep integrating it with healthcare right thank you so much Varai thank you thank you for listening to this episode of sustain 267 podcast like our Facebook page, Sustain267, we will also be sharing this episode and continuing the conversation. Check out the post and share your thoughts on innovative volunteerism. Let's also connect on Twitter or Instagram at I am underscore but the K. Share interesting articles or just cool climate change related stuff that you find interesting. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please become a patron for as little as $30 or about $30 a month. The link is in the episode description. Alternatively or additionally, please drop us a rating on your preferred podcast listening app and recommend us to friends and family. I am the host of Sustain 267 Podcast, Batu Kilisize, and the sound engineer is Malehuma Khoti. As you know, the COVID-19 pandemic is still on with infection rates rising in Africa and lives being lost. Let's continue to follow safety regulations so we and our loved ones stay safe and stay alive. Take care. Sustain two six seven.